I think I have finally found, and I, I sent this to you, um, two weirdos who will never be on our show. Uh, yeah. And nor should we, nor do we want them. Nope, we don't but want a, them. Apparently, in the UK, there is a Miss Hitler pageant. Yes. I Which, did. Fascinating. I, I have so many questions. And I know when we started the show, the idea was we would only ask people the question why and just change the inflection of the word. Right. And this would, in that regard, be the perfect interview for us. It, it would. But then there's some follow-ups. Do they all have the little mustache? Right. Can you do young Hitler? Do you have to do like the Hitler we all know and despise? Like, how does that all right. work out? Like, which one is it? Could you just be Ava Braun and it, and it counts? Ooh, right. Yeah. Right. Or on just on fire. I mean, really. Could you just be on fire? Yeah. Um, I I am. Charlie Chaplin. And, hey. <laughs> um, I am so just confused. I guess this goes under the to be filed under the list of things where I'm kind of like. I thought we all were in agreement about this. Why do we still have to have this conversation? Right? But apparently not. Um, and the fact that there are enough for a whole pageant. Right. Like, that's not just, like, five, ten people. That's, like... No, that's... You need, like, the Nazi Burt Parks to serenade Miss Hitler. Right. right. What song do you sing to her? Again, know. just I'm trying to imagine somebody in a pageant gown with the tiara, the flowers, and a little mustache just waving at everybody doing the right. queen wave. Right. Um, with a little puppy named Mussolini under <laughs> This is Why, with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. I the have... grand things to complain right. about, the grand scheme of things to complain about, the fact that nobody has responded to our hang in their kitten, the fact that you finally right. have air conditioning. These are very, very, very small problems. They are, especially because I just sat outside and worked, worked on my tan, which is all I want to do anyway. <laughs> so well, it gave me a free pass to be yeah. like, eh, I can't sit up here. It's too hot. Yeah, I was about to say, well, everybody wins. No, not everybody, but no. you won mm -hmm. in this case. I did. I did win. And then yeah. Dave, <sighs> So back in the day, <laughs> oh boy, bless his heart. Yes, Dave. When I lived in the Fonzie apartment years ago, when we were dating, mm. um, before I, we lived together, I went on a trip with my aunt to. I think we were in Florida, and he. I. This is because the way of the you've been prepping this story, I was expecting like Belize. <laughs> no, we weren't in Belize. I have been to Belize, but that's not where Cuba. We were. You know, something yeah. like that. No, sorry. Because you would totally um, pronounce it with the accent. Of course. But anyway, would. yeah. But, right. <laughs> and then we would start singing Bobbledoo. Yes. But um, <laughs> so he One, did the uh, wonderful yeah. thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Thought it, he decided to clean the apartment for me, which is so kind. It's so Bless lovely. his heart. Yes. But the, it's a big, giant one-room apartment. And I have a lot of stuff. I have a lot of clothes. I'm you? not someone. No. I know. I know. And by nature, I'm not someone who likes to hold on to a lot of crap, but I don't have places to put stuff and I don't prioritize getting rid of it. Like, I don't want it. I'm Wait a totally second. fine. I to don't get rid hold of on to things. No, I don't want to hold on to things. L let the record show. I Your don't Honor, want to hold on to I didn't say that, that I did hold in on the, to In the past, what, 16 months that we've been doing this okay, stupid those, show? 
Those are important things. The shot glasses have to stay. It's like, here's a shot glass. Hi, hi, Rachel. <laughs> he says, hi, Rachel. Uh, shot glasses. Um, yes. A flyer for mini kiss. It's just a uh, lot that is of at Dave's. That's Dave's wow. on, okay. his, on his fridge. So Mr. Clean himself. So he came over to clean my apartment. And I'm sorry, I'm in getting the process. Yes. He threw away my college diploma. Oh, Dave. So what was it like the first time you stepped on that stage? Well, the first time I actually stepped out on the stage, it was a rehearsal and we were all crowded around. You know, we all, we all, that they tell us to do that actually. You know, you come out, it's freezing cold. They warn you that it's cold. It is absolutely freezing cold. It is so cold. I, I took all these scarves with me because I was trying to not, I was trying to wear the right dress code because certain things you can't wear, like certain patterns and colors. And I, I didn't want to mess it up. So I tried to take just solid colors and scarves. And my mother always says, oh, you should wear a scarf for a pop of color. You know, she, she would watch, <laughs> when I was a kid, we'd watch Murder, She Wrote, and she'd be like, look at Angela Lansbury wearing that scarf for a pop of color. So I thought, okay, I'll just, I'll take a lot of scarves. She's not <laughs> wrong. Let's be Norm normally yeah. I wear like a t-shirt and jean shorts and crawl around in the creek. I mean, that's my usual day. I'm sure. with my son, you know, so I, I don't really dress up at all. So I bought a couple of scarves and stole some from my mom and, you know, and showed up and I was glad to have them for the warmth. I really thought it would just be like, Ooh, you know, fun, a burst of color near my eyes or whatever it's right. supposed to do. And, but, <laughs> but actually it was freezing. So I'm like, okay. Um, it was very cold. And I was, we, first we did these hometown howdies and I, you're supposed to say they, um, they ask you a question about yourself, but you don't get that. Um, like they'll ask a question like, who loves Hutto or something? And then you buzz in and say, uh, who is Sarah Jet Rayburn? <gasps> That's me. You know? <laughs> oh, wow. Like, but they just, but you don't have to, but they're just recording your answers. So you, you record the, the, um, your response, you know, they point at you like, or they did something, they gave us some signal to go and then you buzz in and do the, Ah, oh, you wow. know, and I, I tried to do it exactly the way I was supposed to do it. I was very nervous. I think I did that part pretty well, you know. And but, how big a group of people is that? Oh, you know, I should know, but I, I no biggie. don't. Um, I mean, I, well, okay, I'll tell you how many and you can do the math. Um, oh, boy. Right. right. Because they need enough of us that everybody who's called plays on Tuesday. So there's one returning champion who's already there. Then they call us. And we they they tape five games on Tuesday, and we all play except for two people, who then come back Wednesday, and then there's a new group of people that includes two alternates from the area, and one of them plays and one of them doesn't. So that's how it's not a huge it's not a huge group. It reminded me of when I went to grad school, like about the same size of group of people that came in, but I don't know, like. Somewhere between between ten and twenty, but not. I think that's too many. I don't know. It seemed like thousands of people to me, right. and they were all like, "I went to Harvard. I went to Yale. I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer." And I'm like, oh, "I've been crawling around in the creek for eleven years." You know? <laughs> that's fantastic. That's, that's how I felt. And yeah, did you yeah. Track it all on your drive um, out. Did you? Are the um, flashcards? We asked Trivial Pursuit cards in the car. You know, um, I found it worked better if I read them out because then I remembered the answer. So, but I'd ask everybody and we'd play Trivial Pursuit together, like just down the card. 
that was the main thing that I did. And actually, I got an answer that way because I never knew that Elmore Leonard wrote 310 to Yuma. I just knew him from the stuff he did later. So then when I, sure. I was, and my mind was blown, I was like, Elmore Leonard wrote 310 to Yuma? <laughs> and we started talking about like the remake with Russell Crowe. You know, we had seen that, um, and Christian Bale, right? I don't know. But we, my husband and I had seen that together in the theater. He hadn't seen the original, but we were talking about it. So we talked about it a really long time. So it just, that one implanted, and I think it was in my very first game, I got a question about who wrote 310 to Yuma. And I was like, yes. oh, more Leonard, <laughs> you know. That is twist. so, like, what are the odds? Yeah, That's I crazy. know. And, and, and like, so that was the one question that actually made it into my brain, you know, that we did. We, I prepped all with an atlas. Like before we left, I, I read through all these geography B questions and I would hold the atlas on my lap and have um, my stepson and my daughter would quiz me on, you know, they'd ask the question and I would try to find the answer on the atlas because the geography B questions are hard, you know, <laughs> and I oh, mean, yeah. I, didn't just, I didn't just know them automatically. And um, I'm very bad with rivers and bodies of water anyway. So, I mean, I would try to find, and then by, you know, I was hoping that through finding the answer, like through the process that I would be like, oh yes, that's it. And now it's in my mind, you know, kind of thing. So we drilled all that. I hardly got any geography questions even asked to me while I was there. So that didn't really play in as much. I memorized Canada. I was like, okay, I'm not going to go there and not know anything about Canadian geography. You know, at least I won't disgrace myself in front of Alex Trebek totally. I'll show him I care. And the thing that always worries me or or gives me agita when I think about the possibility of going on the show one, I hope at some point I get to go on the celebrity one, but then I'll be matched up with like Cheech oh, Marin. Oh, that would be cool, yeah. Me. But anyway, because <laughs> um, he's the Kareem sleeper Abdul cell. Abdul-Jabbar is good too. Oh, I mean, yeah, I I've seen no him doubt. a lot of times. Yeah. yeah. But the thing that makes me nervous is the buzzer. Because yeah, I know it, if you... It, I'm still nervous. I mean, I don't feel like I ever got the hang of it. Because I if was... you buzz before he's done reading the question, it blocks you out, correct? Right. Yes, you're locked out. And I, and I mean, that. I think I, I think you're locked out for 30 seconds or something, but it feels oh. like I mean, it's like an eternity in that situation, because once right. you're locked out, you're locked out, you know, right. and um, I could never get the timing right. I still don't feel like I have the timing right, you know, and um, it's I don't know. I tried when I first went in during the auditions. When you go to audition, they tell you, wait for the light. There will be a light that comes on. You wait for the light and then you buzz. That's your signal. It's OK to buzz. But in the auditions, I mean, not everybody who goes to the audition is going to make it on the show. So the, the competition isn't as intense. You know what I mean? And everybody's kind of like, what? The light. By the time you get to the show, everybody's like, OK, the light. Bang. If you wait, there are these blue lights on the sides of the boards. But if you wait for the light it's too late. I mean, by the time you, at least for me, maybe it's like slower reaction time with age or, you know, whatever. If you wait to see the light, it's too late. Somebody's already buzzed in. So the light barely flickers. I mean, the light, if it, if it even does show up at all, it's like, I mean, it's gone because someone's already buzzed in. So then, um, uh, they advise me, you know, wait for the, try to do it with the cadence of Alex's voice, try to time, time it. So you're ringing in after, uh, he finishes reading the question. Um, because there's a human being controlling the lights. So, so you're just, so you have to kind of try to listen, but then in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, am I buzzing in a little too early when I'm not getting it or just a hair later than somebody else? Or, you know, 
is the guy with the lights just having fun with me? I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm sure it's been, I don't think there was anything like that. I mean, they're very, they're very, very professional there and very, it's like the most honest show. Like it, there, no cheating on this game show, but, um, but yeah, you, you, in your head, you don't know for sure. You, they know, they know they have computers and they can sit and watch what's happening. So they know if there's a problem, and like during rehearsal, they are, they're able to coach you. They can see who rings in first, second, third, and who's locked out and stuff like that. So they coach the contestants so we don't look like idiots. But I mean, they give us all the same coaching. No one gets any kind of special right. help. You know, during the rehearsal, they'll openly come up and give you different ringing in advice. Like I had to hold the signaling device in both hands. It wasn't working for me in one hand. I look crazy. You know, I look. No. People, <laughs> no what was your yeah, methodology I mean, for that? Because I know some um, people press it like an elevator where they're like, hitting it 50 mm. times are you just a one go and uh I, they tell us they they we, they tell us to not ring in just once we're supposed to ring in repeatedly until someone is acknowledged so it i guess i did it really zealously a lot of people commented on it online but you know um that's what they that's what they advise us to do you know so what's it like i mean i, I I've, I've always they say like the tv sets look smaller in person than they do on tv what's backstage like is like Ken um, Jennings and Jeopardy James in a hot tub. What's that situation <laughs> back there? That would Is there like a so robe if you win? Or? No, uh, you do get a hat. Everybody gets a hat. Oh, okay. You get that when you lose, you know? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and, uh, no, it's actually, it's pretty nice. They're so nice there. Um, there's, a, there's like a, I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's a room where the contestants go. I mean, I guess you could call it a green room. They didn't say the green room. But I mean, it's a room where the contestants wait. So like the contestants room. And you're kind of sequestered in there like a jury. And in there, there are, I think, two bathrooms. And then the makeup artists have a room back there where they do the makeup. And then we're in that room. Uh, and then we go out to the stage to rehearse. And then we go back to that room. And then we go out to the stage to watch all the games. So you watch the games you don't participate in. And you don't know until the end of the game before that you'll be playing in the next game. Like as you're waiting to play, you don't find out until the game ends. And then they draw two names. And as a matter wow. of fact, I think it's like they have independent lawyers, like a consulting firm or something in there to make sure everything's honest. And I think they're the ones who select the names. Really? So they, they draw two people's names. And so they don't get to choose. Like the show doesn't choose who plays against each other other than they choose the contestant pool to begin with. Hmm. And they don't. So you don't know. So you go in in the morning um, really early and you don't know who you're playing when you're playing or who you're playing against or anything like that and you go into the room and like we took the shuttle we stayed at one of if you stay at one of the two hotels they recommend there's a shuttle that comes and picks you up like right about 7 a.m the shuttle leaves so you need to be down there sooner and um i i don't know the exact times of things after that because you have to turn off your phone and i don't wear a watch so i didn't know like what time it was ever but in the morning basically they go over a bunch of things with you like a bunch of um different uh rules mm -hmm. and uh it takes quite a long time but it's pretty entertaining i mean it's like watching a one-woman show you know and uh it's very, very entertaining and and informative and you're learning all the rules and and then you talk you go over kind of like what you might um what you might say 
based on the material you provide the show with, they pick three anecdotes that you could talk about and put them on a card. And then you get to select which one you want to talk about. But Alex is free to ignore that. So, um, <laughs> so like, no. Yeah. So, um, I mean, he chooses what you'll say. So you're never quite sure what you're going to be saying on the stage, but you have an idea. Um, what point in the day does the litter bearing Alex, is that brought onto set and he steps down and <laughs> you know joins what? you all? Um, we go when we go to rehearsal. It's Jimmy from the Clue Crew who reads mm -hmm. the who does the oh, Alex okay. part. So we don't actually see Alex Trebek until we tape the first show. So which is sometime Tuesday early afternoon before lunch. Like I, like maybe late morning. I don't know that I didn't have a clock. So right, um, yeah. but, <laughs> but we don't see Alex until he steps onto the stage to tape the show. So your actions, your interactions with Alex Trebek are very very limited. Mm -hmm. But still. I was so, I don't know, like just so fortunate because because I won and I kept winning. I got to keep seeing him and interacting him and playing the game. So I right. had this fantastic experience, you know, while it's happening to you, it's so surreal. You think like, I was thinking about it. Like if you're a little kid, you know, you know how when you're a little kid and somebody moves in next door, you first thing you go look like, do they have kids, you know, who's <laughs> moving in and, and imagine like if it was Mr. Rogers and he was your neighbor for real. It, <laughs> I felt because I watched Jeopardy since I was a child and suddenly Alex Trebek is talking to me, you know, right, He's looking right into my eyes. I, I don't have to imagine playing the game. I am playing the game. And for me, I mean, I watched Jeopardy since I was five, you know, so I, even though I'm an adult and everything, like during this surreal rush, I was kind of transported to this like primal place or something where I, I'm like, oh, this, I'm really, I'm in the show. I'm a part of the show. I mean, it was, it was really exciting. Like my job was to be contestant and everybody else was doing their job. So it was fun. Like not only did I get to like, I mean, the obvious goals, oh, I'll go on, I'll get to play, I'll win some money. But then it's like, ooh, this is a show that's been my favorite show for years and years and years. And now I'm like, I'm in the show, you know, like there was something really um, exciting and upbeat about that. And while you're, when I first, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, you remember now you asked about Alex Trebek, who is just wonderful, by the way, I thought he was absolutely just the kindest, most, what, um, I can't even think of enough good words to describe him because he was so kind to me mm -hmm. and so generous with his energy, I guess, because you don't have time to like privately consort with him or anything. I mean, it's just what you see in the show is what happens. But when you're right there and he's standing right next to you, he has such a positive energy and he showed me such kindness that I, I really appreciated that. But um, when he first walked out on the stage, of course, like we were all, everybody there wants to be on Jeopardy. Everybody loves Jeopardy. Everybody loves Alex Trebek, you know? So when you're waiting for him to walk out, you're kind of thinking, oh, is, is he okay? Because that's the first thing you, you think right. of now you know, right. you think, how how is he doing? Because you don't see the shows as they're taped, you know, so right. it's, you don't know what it'll look like or how, how, what kind of health he'll be in. So you worry for him, you watch him walk out. And, you know, at first he, he did seem like he was walking a little slowly, but like almost right away, like he just, you know, turned on, you uh -huh. know, and was the host and did the show. And, 
And during the commercial breaks, he talks with the contestants and he even like took a picture with someone who knew him from, who had seen him a long time ago. And he couldn't remember the acquaintance, like it was just someone who met him, like bumped into him at somebody's party once or something. And, but he ended up taking a picture with her and being really, I mean, you can tell he really, he, lo he loves the fans, you know, he, he's proud of his work. You know what I mean? He, it's his, you know what I mean? Because when somebody comes out there comes into your living room like that and does a show for you every day for decades, they're kind of giving you their life's work, you know, so you don't know the real, you don't know like the intimate at home, Alex Trebek, but you do know Alex Trebek, the host, you know, he's like mm -hmm. kind of given him, like, given a part of himself to you. And I think he really cares about that. And he's really invested, you know, in his, in, in being the host of Jeopardy and in trying to deliver what people what the fans want, you know what I mean? In a mm -hmm. reasonable way, you know, but um, it was funny because that first day I was, I was, I was in a heightened state of agitation and craziness that first day anyway, right. but then I was worried about Alex. But when I was playing the second day, Alex Trebek, I, all of not, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm still concerned about his health and I'm pray for him. But what I mean is like in that moment, any thoughts about his health just melted away because he was so good at what he was doing. I mean, he was, and he was so, he just seemed like any stupid thing I said, like out of panic or whatever, he was able to turn it into this delightful banter and make it work on stage. And he was just such a good host. And, you know, he was kind of in charge of the space, you know what I mean? And he really, um, he had such panache and such strength. And I just looked to him as the person who ran the games and he was, he was doing such a wonderful, wonderful job. I mean, I forgot completely that he was sick at all because of how wonderful his performance was as the host and how kind and just so kind he was being to me, like like protective of me almost. I mean, he was really, his interactions with me were like genuine and human, you know, when I was talking about my daughter in the NICU, he, I mean, he looked right into my eyes. You know what I mean? Like he, mm -hmm. He didn't just react like, oh, yes, I'm reacting. I mean, he reacted like in, with a human reaction. And well, even, sorry, at the, I believe it was your first game when you had written down Grant and I can't remember which general it was. My, was yeah, that. it was. It if was you were Grant, never live down, I'm sure. McClellan. It was yes. McClellan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, well, you know, I thought I would never live that down. And then it was the Shaka Khan thing that seemed to like go viral everywhere. But, well, but I, I mean, mean I was much, I was very embarrassed. Well, not. That was quite a, that was my second game, but it was the first game that a lot of people saw because the first game was preempted by the NFL draft in a lot of like I on see. the West coast and East coast a lot. So, um, but, but I even yeah, saw that was like my... the, the CNN headline was Jeopardy contestant does something that has never been done before. Yeah. And like part of it's like, and, Oh, this is clickbait. But then yeah. to go back to what you're saying about Alex you start apologizing for explaining your logic on why you went for the answer. And he was, and you're like, oh, I'm sorry. And he just goes like, that's fine. Let's talk about this. And yes. of and anyone I, to say, these are the rules of Jeopardy. Here's how we do this to be right. like, no, we're going to talk right. about this now. Right. He was, that's what I mean. He was so kind to me because he could have handled that a completely different way. You know, he could have, um, he could have, I mean, he could have just dismissively shut that down and said, hey, you know, we need to get on with the right. game or, you know, this is not right. how, this is not the time for this. And then they could have just edited that right out and it wouldn't have been in the show. But instead, he kind of took it and ran with it, you know, and suddenly that was my personality. I'm so chatty, which I am. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, I mean, he made it work in a positive way. 
And that's the thing. He, I mean, it's Alex Trebek's the star of the show. You know what I mean? He, he decides where the energy in that show is going to go. And when I started just, I could not believe I did that. I was so mortified. I had been thinking McClellan, Grant, but I, I actually thought of McClellan, but this is, this is kind of crazy. The reason I thought of McClellan was because of a series of anecdotes about McClellan and Lincoln. I had read in a book for speakers that I read in my parents' bedroom, like when I was 11, like it was, it was, they always had it up there. So I go up and read it sometimes because it was funny. And I'm like, this is a really spurious source. Like, I don't know if I should be basing my final jeopardy on this. So I think I'm just going to put Grant because that's way safer, you know, and I mean, is that, uh, and then I was like, oh, it should have been McClellan. And I just blurted it out, McClellan, maybe. And then I was like, oh, I'm talking. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't like, you know, it was completely just spontaneously me being an idiot, you know what I mean? Just talking without even like how the, like how the answers just came flying out of my mouth at that point, just words were just coming and I was just mortified and he was so kind you know, and not only did he smooth over that reaction in the in the moment so that right. i didn't feel bad he made it a part of my character for the show you know right. what i mean he mm-hmm. he made it something positive that we then continued going forth you know what i and that was that was his what showmanship like his knowledge of how to be the host you know right. what i mean and so and that's what i mean that's like kind of everyone on Jeopardy, they have this incredible professionalism and good. they're all good at their jobs, but they're also really kind as humans. And it's the blending of that, I think, that makes Jeopardy such a great show. I mean, it's been great for decades, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I think that's why it, they, they, they really care about people there. And it's not just, it's not just pretense. Everyone on the set is kind. People are, I mean, and they're beautiful they're beautiful people the, the beautiful ones you know mm-hmm. alex trebek looks great in person he looks really good and mm-hmm. sarah from the clue crew who interviewed me she's just gorgeous i was so happy i didn't tell her that because mm-hmm. all i could think was oh you're beautiful can you imagine how like you're beautiful <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but she, she was so good at the interview too like everything they were doing i was like oh you're so good at your job i was so and the 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 makeup artists, uh, Lisa, Lisa and Sandy, I met them both. Lisa did my makeup every time. And she was just so nice. Like, I just felt like I felt like really, really uh, like I was just talking to a friend. Like, she was so kind to me. And she even like when she realized I liked the lip gloss, she would let me smell the lip gloss. Like, this is the vanilla one. And this because I was I thought the lip gloss smelled good. And I mean, she she talked to me just like you would talk to someone well, someone human, you know what right. I mean? And you don't necessarily know that you're going to get that on a television show, you know, you know, because I think Hollywood has this uh, reputation of being really fake. And, right. you know, and I mean, and I suppose it often is. And obviously what they're trying to do there is make a TV show, but they're still really kind people and their TV show is about celebrating excellence. You know, so many shows are about like, come on here and look like an idiot and let's see how stupid and let's set you up. And you know what I mean? Like Jeopardy is a show that tries to make people look better and to celebrate uh, virtue. And I mean, there's just not a lot of that. I I mean, maybe maybe there is, maybe there's more of it than I realized, but I was, 
I was really happy. I was really happy there. So yeah, I think you're right. I think it is more rare. Now you're not only a four-time Jeopardy champion. You're also an author. I am. And you said you've got a new book coming out too. You have yes. two already. Yeah, correct? yeah, yeah. Well, I published one called Night of the Pom Pom when I was 19, and I just did that by I, I finished my. I've been writing since like I started my first novel when I was four, and I finished my first novel when I was 13, different books, but I mean, I finished something when I was sure. 13, wrote three drafts of it by hand with an ink pen. So, I mean, I'm fairly like, that's my oh. identity. So I published at 19, which sounds really early, but actually I had written, you know, 10 books up to that point, but just hadn't had any success publishing them. And I didn't have any connections or anything. So I just read a lot of books on how to write a good query letter and just sent a bunch of query letters. And I finally got uh, the attention of, of, Somebody at Simon and actually at Simon and Schuster at, at Pocket Books was there was an imprint of them at the mm -hmm. time, and somebody just um, one of the interns like fished one of my manuscripts out of a slush pile and started reading it and thought it was so funny and showed it to the other interns and they thought it was so funny and showed it to the editor, and then they there was a beheading in that one so they didn't want that one but they said well send something else if you have it you know and that's how my first book got published Night of the Pom Pom but then I was in college and I there was a lot going on and I just you know I thought. I didn't really get the successful, you know, publishing career I had hoped publishing novels, but I, sure. um, but when I, after Penelope was born, I thought, you know, I'm really, I never quit the novel writing. I was in grad school, but uh, working on um, a dissertation about the Elizabethan complaint poem and Mary Queen of Scots, but I, uh, just As you stopped. Do. I just stopped. Well, <laughs> I, it's a, but I just kind of stepped away from that because I, um, I wanted to be with, with my daughter and kind of, my, my life pulled focus, you know, and I just kind of, I thought, well, you know what, what I really care about is writing and that's what I should be doing. And my husband said I could, you know, and so I thought, well, you know, cause he's like, you know, I can support us financially while you figure this out and get your, do your creative writing. So that's what I chose to do. That's what I've always done. And so now I'm writing books that I really love. Um, so I have this series called uh, Limitless Night and it's actually mm -hmm. a six book series uh, three of the books are out now, but it's a series of two interlocking trilogies. So you have uh, the first book has two narrators. Then you jump six months earlier, you get a prequel trilogy with one narrator. Then you'll go in the fifth and sixth books back to the first two narrators because in the first book, they're kind of dipping their toe into this mysterious world. But then you then you get a much fuller picture of actually what that world is and what's going on fully. So um, I'm actually really excited about it. Um, I just actually, actually the book just uh, became, uh, it's available to buy on Amazon now. The, the third book, it's called The Call of Silver Knights. When you're talking six books into a world, that's, that's quite a world you're building to begin yes, with. Yes, yes. Well, and I mean, it's about, you know, I started out having this like fascination with dead women talking. That's a better way to go. I can get there from my dissertation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I started writing about the Elizabethan complaint poem when I was working on a dissertation and the, comp uh, the, the complaint poem kind of grew out of this tradition of um, like there were earlier texts, like a mirror for magistrates where you'd hear the complaint of the Duke of Buckingham and someone would come back and some ghost would come back from the dead and tell you, here's what I did. And here's where I went wrong. Don't be like me. Don't walk in my errors or, you know, but these, but these poems 
were the Elizabethan ones that I was looking at in the late Elizabethan period were, were after sonnet sequences. They were very frequently found appended to sonnet sequences. And they were about women, um, like Rosamond, the mistress of Henry II. And the woman's ghost would come back and tell you, but she didn't tell you, don't be like me. I was so wicked. Even though often these women were viewed as wicked, they were like, they lied about me. Now here's the truth about me. They they lied about me. You know they they besmirched me. They killed me. You know this is who I am. I my ghost is haunting you to set the record straight. You know so and all of this talk about love and blah blah blah. You know that was this construct they forced onto me and then they told all these lies about me and killed me. So I'm haunting you. So I mean that's and so I was always interested in the idea of these hauntings. Hauntings as a way to tell the truth. You know, mm -hmm. and so that's um, I started asking myself, Sarah, why are you so fascinated with the idea of like ghosts and haunting? And I thought, well, because it's a way to tell the truth. You know, when you're dead, you're free. Yeah. And then I thought to myself, Sarah, when you're dead, you are not free. Like you just think that, you know, because in life, all these accidents happen and you feel like you don't have control. You're afraid to take risks because you might die when you're dead. Oh, you're free. You know, but that's just that's ridiculous. You know, like I started telling saying to myself, Sarah, what we have is life. You know, and when you think, when you start romanticizing death, that's kind of delusional thinking. What you need to do is do something with your life. So Limitless Night, the first book, is about some two people who are in love. And one of them is deeply romanticizing and fetishizing, fetishizing death and so falls into harm. And the other person goes to rescue him. But that's just one of the themes in the book. It's actually the, what he has fallen into is this, you know, I always seem to be writing about like mysterious cults who, you know, I don't know why. I actually write about a lot of stuff, but everything I publish seems to involve some cult of mysterious women doing, you know, whatever. And we all have um, our niche. Yeah. So, you know, that's, it just seems to come back again and again in my work, but no, the, Limitless Night, the first book, begins with a girl who has nowhere to go. She's new in town. She has a car, but she can't drive very well. She doesn't, she doesn't want, you know, she, she's angry. She doesn't have any friends. And then there's this other girl who needs a car and just goes, they, they've only met like one time. And she's like, I need a car. And, you know, and she takes her car. She kind of commandeers her car. And they go to follow this guy, Noah Rogan. It's the um, this girl, Tivia Dillon, her boyfriend, Noah Rogan was like so madly in love with her. They were just, you know, they had that kind of adolescent love you always have in YA novels, you know, where they're just lost in themselves and, you know, and, um, and, they, and then he just disappeared and nobody knows where he went. Then she sees him at this homecoming game, but when she looks into his eyes, he looks past her like he doesn't know her. And so she's like, well, that's not Noah. You know, she, that she says to her, she says that she can see for herself that it's Noah's body but it's not Noah's mind. So she doesn't know what's going on. So she follows him and this leads to murder and mayhem. And, and um, basically they find this list, this kind of a hit list that this not Noah is using. And he kills this witch. That's the first person on the list. And then he's going to kill a priest. That's the second person on the list. But the third person on the list is the grandma of the girl who has the car, who doesn't even have anything to do with this. So then it's like, what? You know, that's kind of how you get into the story. But but the actual world there is actually much bigger. And it's, you know, kind of based on a, a series of frustrated love affairs and errant desires, I guess, like, you know, this this false romanticizing of death. 
And then it also has some stuff about, you know, um, not relying on fossil fuels because you're relying on ghost power instead, which is actually much worse. You know, the resins of that. Oh my gosh. You know, (laughs) so I feel like I, 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 um, so I just finished the third book in that series, which actually is my favorite thing I've ever written. So that's awesome. Yeah, I feel like I should be describing it like making more of a pitch, like go buy it now, you know, or you'll die mm-hmm. and right. not know why. <laughs> that is the perfect it pitch. won't be romantic like you think. <laughs> <laughs> that is the perfect fit for this show. Sarah's books, Limitless Night, Astral Plane Jane, and the brand new Call of Silver Nights are all available on Amazon or wherever you get your fine books. You can also follow Sarah on Twitter, where she is at S Jet. J-E-T-T, Rayburn, R-A-Y-B-U-R-N. Be sure to follow Why the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out our YouTube channel for some additional great Why content. If you're so inclined, please leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Today's show was produced by myself and Heidi Hedquist, our reluctant executive producers are John Sove and Sandy Stone. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mustonen. Our intern is Randy Jeanette. The theme song was performed by the Electrosynthno Magnetic Polyphonic Orchestra. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home. Nigel, is that you? Are you here, Nigel?